Hi ho, hi ho. It's back to work they go. Our legislators at Queen's Park and uh, they're busy, 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 unusual for a summer session. One of the big issues, though, they have to deal with is, of course, the strike at York University. Uh, This has been one of the longest strikes in Canadian history. If you haven't been paying attention to it because you're not a student or you're not associated with a school or you have other things to do, well, you'd be excused for that. Um, but it's uh, in its, I think, 120th, no, more than that, actually, because since June, t- uh, yeah, June 21st, it reached 109 days. So it's now about 125 days, I think, of striking. It's crazy. Um, this strike has been dragging on, dragging on over a number of issues that some people would say really aren't at the core of the learning process. They affect chiefly part-time faculty, graduate assistants. Uh, some other issues include the uh, dealing, how this university deals with sexual assault. Things that are important, sure, but did they really merit a strike this long? Well, the government doesn't think so because they're going to legislate them back to work. And that's one of the reasons they came back early this summer is to pass that legislation. Naturally, union leaders are very unhappy about this. And they spoke out this morning against this. Take a listen to Devin LeFevre. He is the uh, spokesperson, chairperson, actually, for QP Local 3903. He says this has always been a defensive strike. This has always been a defensive strike. It is to protect our members from unilateral changes that negatively affect both their working conditions and their education. In 20 weeks of strike, the employer has met with us only twice of their own volition. Once on March 20th for 15 minutes, and then not again until June 2nd. Okay, he also says that York University has demonstrated bad behavior on multiple occasions. Uh, Here's what he thinks constituted that. York University's bad behavior has not been limited to the bargaining table. They have used intimidation tactics such as videotaping our members and threatening to discipline students for their tweets. The university even purchased the domain name qp3903.com in order to redirect traffic to its own website. The university's disrespect for its workers and students and its irresponsible abandonment of its duty to bargain in good faith has prolonged the strike. The government can help to end the labor dispute by using its authority to encourage the employer to show up to the bargaining table and negotiate in good faith. Well, it's a little late for that, Um, but it does sound like it's been an extremely nasty process for those involved in it. So what are, I guess, the fundamentals here? Is the government in the right to say, look, this has gone on long enough. We're going to just put you back to work or do they risk A charter challenge, because some people are saying that it's unconstitutional to do this, and this could cause more problems than solutions. To hash that out, now we're joined by Lior Samfiru, he's 640 Toronto's employment law expert. Hi, Lior. Good afternoon, Tasha. Good afternoon to you. So I'm sure you've been watching this uh, strike uh, as it endlessly unfolds. Um, Your thoughts on what you just heard about the way it was handled from the university's perspective, from an employment law perspective, um, does that constitute any kind of bad faith? Are they really the villains here? Well, I mean, I think that you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say that there's always two sides to every story, and it's never one side just being the the bad villain and the other one is completely innocent. I think that there were some dirty tactics 
played probably on both sides. If the union truly felt that what the uh, university was doing was underhanded, it could have easily have brought its concerns over to the labor board. As far as I'm aware, they have not done that. So probably they're not overly concerned that what uh, York has done has impacted the strike. So I don't think that's the case. I do think, of course, they're extremely upset now at the uh, at the legislation that uh, is going to come down, uh, forcing them back to work. But I do believe, uh, and there's been some court decisions in recent years that confirm this, that such legislation would be susceptible to a charter challenge. And I don't know if ultimately that's going to accomplish the goal that the government is trying to accomplish. Yeah, the government obviously wants uh, you know people back to work, wants the students to be back in the classroom. Uh, but in the meantime, they are in a situation where they could be challenged in court. In fact, take a listen um, to what Devin Lefevre said. He's, again, QP3903 chairperson. He said uh, in talking about this that stripping our rights is not the answer. Stripping our rights to meaningful collective bargaining and our right to strike is not the answer. Back-to-work legislation will poison labor relations at York University for the foreseeable future and put a chill on collective bargaining across this province as it eliminates any incentive for employers to negotiate with unions. So I'm wondering, Lior, is one of the reasons they held on so long and one of the reasons that the union is so upset with the government's action here because this will affect other disputes as well? Well, first of all, it's unfair to say that this the employer is just going to get what it wants because what happens with back-to-work legislation is that these disputes are going to go before an arbitrator. And the arbitrator is then going to hear submissions from the employer, they're going to hear submissions from the union, and decide who's right, who's wrong, and what needs to happen here. So to the extent that the union is right and it feels that it's right, it's going to have an opportunity to convince an arbitrator and then be uh, be vindicated in that sense. So I don't. I think it's completely overstating it to say that, uh, well, now the employer somehow wins. Obviously, union wants to use strike as leverage, and they want to know that if they use that leverage, no one's going to come and intervene in the future uh, and make them go back to work, taking away some of that leverage. But if the goal is to reach a fair deal for its members, I don't think binding arbitration, which is what back-to-work legislation is going to do, is a bad solution at all. So why are they so against it? Because nothing else has worked in four months. You'd think that, like you said, the overarching goal would be the well-being of their members. If they can get a deal through binding arbitration, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is that this is, as you've just said, uh, it's not just the York strike here. It's other uh, organizations and employers that are going to be in that situation. And what the union wants to know is that if we say that we're going to be on, on strike, we mean that, and it's going to be a long process, and you have to give us what we want or else. If it's more likely that uh, uh, that the matter is going to go to arbitration and the union's not going to get everything that it wants, so some of the power that the union has may be taken away from it. So it's very political, uh, and, and as these things are, and I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that, it's, it would be naive to say that this is just about the well-being of the bargaining members. Right. And you mentioned politics. And that's, of course, where uh, this sits right now. It's in the legislature and uh, the government's saying they're, they're going to pass the law to bring these folks back to work. Um, do you think that uh, in doing so, they will, um, I guess, raise the ire of other unions across the province as they enter into collective bargaining with them for whatever, whether it's, uh, you know, health workers or education workers, 
that this will now impact those negotiations, whatever, whenever they may be, and create a climate of hostility right off the bat that, you know, we can't trust you, government, because if we don't get what we want, you're going to legislate us back to work. Well, the good news is that a lot of the unions that the government uh, is dealing with uh, are unions in areas where there was uh, deemed essential services, and those particular areas or, or those particular services cannot go on strike. So because of that, the government has some protection, but there are unions that the government is going to bargain with and will be bargaining with soon that are not essential services, at least not yet. And absolutely, will this be held against the government? Absolutely. The unions are going to be always, and they always do, because they bind together, and they're going to be very upset at the government for implementing this, uh, this type of a policy or this type of legislation, which is why generally governments don't like doing that. Even conservative governments, they always do that as a last resort, because there's always going to be long longer-term impact. Okay, last question. What happens if the union defies a back-to-work order from the government? What what happens then? Usually the legislation itself is going to say what happens. There can be very stiff fines, uh, very, very stiff fines. It could be uh, tens of thousands of dollars per individual per day. That could even be potential for imprisonment. So that's why you never hear of unions uh, defying these orders. It's never happened. Their best recourse, in fact, their only recourse is to challenge this in court, but they will in the interim comply with it because no one needs uh, one of those big fines. No one does, uh, but uh, I want to thank you because we need you to explain the stuff to us, and I want to thank you so much for coming on today to do so. Lior Samfiru is 640 Toronto's employment law expert, uh, employment lawyer, of course, with Samfiru Tumarkin. Thanks, Lior. Always a pleasure, Tasha.